and welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. First, a word from our sponsor, LA Tourism. Los Angeles was the birthplace of the internet in 1969, and today it's become a major tech center with the rise of Silicon Beach, an area that stretches from Malibu to Hollywood and is home to more than 500 tech and startup companies, making it the perfect location for your next industry event. The Los Angeles Tourism and Convention Board can help with their expert team and city knowledge. They'll work with you to build and scale your event. Learn more at meetla.com. That's meetla.com. This is Alex Palmer, Deputy Editor of North Star Meetings Group. The world has been turned upside down in the past week by the spread of COVID-19, and even the most knowledgeable experts are unsure how exactly it will impact the world in the months and years ahead. But while such unpredictable times create challenges for forecasting about the future and the meetings industry specifically, these times of upheaval and change also demand creative thinking, a willingness to throw out the old rule book and plan not just to weather the current crisis, but how to come back after it. To that end, we spoke with Don Berger, founder of Social Tables, and someone who generally has their finger on the pulse of the business events industry and where it's heading. We spoke with Don about how the coronavirus could impact events long-term and more general trends around meeting technology, venue sourcing, and the future of meetings. Something to note, this conversation took place on Tuesday, March 10th, so events developed significantly since then. So thanks a lot for taking part, Don. You're very welcome. Today, we wanted to get your insight. You spoke recently at SMU International and talked about some of the forecasts that that you're seeing and the trends you're keeping an eye on, ranging from everything from meatless F&B or foodless meetings to some deep dives into some of the the tech uh, elements and and evolutions that you're seeing. Uh, Today, we'd like to talk a little bit more about the tech side of things and what you're seeing on that front. So maybe we could begin by, you could outline a couple of the kind of the key trends you really spotlighted in that presentation and just that you're seeing in general that planners are going to want to be keeping in mind in the years ahead? Sure. I think the biggest thing is the fact that we're leaving the seller's market and entering a buyer's market. Just in the last few days, all the airline CEOs have essentially given up on forecasting revenues for the quarter and year. They've announced that corporate demand is relatively stunted. And uh, leisure demand is uh, only responding to deep price cuts. Obviously, airlines are a lagging indicator of a group, and we're seeing group get canceled everywhere. So that pretty much means we're entering a, a buyer's market, which means that event planners, meeting planners, corporate travel folks are all going to be in a very strong position to negotiate their current and future rates. The last decade of being a, a seller's market where hotels had meeting planners by the, by the you know what, it's finally changing. Long term, it does seem like we are seeing a shift where at least some of the negotiating power in time will really shift back to the planners and, and the buyers are going to be a bit stronger positioned uh, in the year ahead or so. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. And you obviously had a, a demand issue in terms of 
coronavirus. So that decreases demand of travel group and so forth. But you also had a supply shock in terms of oil. And what happens when you have these two exogenous events happening at the same time is you really don't know what's going to happen. The silver lining for the airline industry, at least, is that oil is cheaper and therefore that can have a downstream impact on prices. But that will only affect leisure travelers who are traveling on a budget, but then people don't want to travel. And of course, businesses aren't going to take the risk of putting up a group. They don't want to be... Because I I was actually at a conference in San Diego um, last week, which was canceled. It was the international uh, YPO event, which is uh, kind of the leading organization for CEOs with 29,000 members or so. Mm -hmm. And it was canceled. So... Um, that was a pretty big deal. They they said they had over 600 contracts they had to cancel. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So the only people making money out of this are the lawyers. And even my friends in the legal industry, their partnerships are guiding them to not put out offers for new associates. So it's going to have downstream impact. My point is that basically... There's a new meaning for the, for the term cancel culture, and that's canceling events in 2020. <laughs> right. And w- with that in mind, uh, a lot of these events that are being canceled, we're seeing some that are uh, really embracing the idea of making it a virtual event. I know Google, one of their, their big events, they've moved to being a, a virtual event. It was Atmosphere 2020s has become a virtual event as well. And it is interesting to see some organizers at least saying the show's going to go on, but in virtual form. So where do you see the future of virtual events and tech in general? Do you think this might be a major milestone in the development and in the embrace of virtual events or at least hybrid events? You know, that's a great question. I think so. Both Google, um, uh, they turned uh, Cloud Next 2020 into a virtual conference. Collision, which is was on track to be one of the biggest technology conferences in North America and Toronto was canceled. They turned into uh, a virtual event. I think that certainly the next wave of event tech is going to be virtual events or, you know, we used to call them hybrid events, which were real tech, real events that took place that took place in conjunction with a virtual component. Uh, Dreamforce for a long time have been simultaneously live streaming their events. In the past, event planners have looked at live streaming and hybrid components as a way to incentivize future attendance and also increase awareness and increase their their future demand. What we've learned is that whenever you live stream an event, you increase the amount of in-person attendees. That's changing now. And I think the next wave of event tech is going to be virtual events in the sense where you know, you provide as much as you can through a virtual platform. And I'm closing my eyes as I speak about this. I'm trying to imagine what that would look like it's kind of hard to imagine, but you can never replicate as obviously the energy you get from a real event in a virtual environment. So you have to go back to the objectives, right? Like what are the event's objectives and how could you provide that in a meaningful way through an online product? Because at the end of the day, event planners still have a responsibility to their stakeholders, whether it's to generate revenue to, well, it's usually generate revenue, but then the secondary and tertiary objectives are to give exhibitors or sponsors an ROI to give attendees an ROI, provide networking opportunities, provide educational opportunities. Those things are harder to do online. So you have to go back to the basics, think think about the objectives and try to solve them in ways that may actually not be events. You know, that's why a lot of folks have always started to think about uh, event planners as, as business event strategists. So when you start thinking about strategies as opposed to just planning, it means event planners should look at this as an opportunity to expand their job and do more. And I'm not sure most event planners are equipped for that, quite frankly, right now. So if I was an event planner, I would focus on a strategy that gets me to my events objectives without necessarily having an event. So in summary, 
a virtual event doesn't mean, you know, a chat room and a video conference. It means hitting on all the objectives the event had, not necessarily through an event. So let's break that down for a second. Let's say I held a multi-day conference with an exhibit component, with a uh, networking component, and uh, educational component. Uh, I would look at each of those components and work on delivering the objectives separately. So from a networking perspective, I would look at matchmaking technology or even outsource some, you know, manual uh, matchmaking that can be done by just reviewing LinkedIn profiles and, and offer to make introductions for people to kind of replicate the serendipity you would get at a networking reception. If I was doing an educational component, then I would certainly turn to online training and include as much ARS, audience response system, into my event to make it interactive because online actually allows for a little more interaction, not less interaction than real than real life events. And finally, if I was doing an exhibitor, I would generate um, leads and provide new marketing opportunities for my sponsors and exhibitors. Uh, interesting way to approach it, not saying, oh, this virtual is going to replace face-to-face meetings, but this is an, uh, an additional component, additional skill set that maybe planners have sort of dabbled in, but really this crisis has shown uh, it needs to be something that planners should really be embracing and getting comfortable with these tools, what's out there, ways to elevate maybe their face-to-face meeting with virtual or what, you know, whether that means uh, replacing it altogether, at least adding it as a component and getting comfortable with that. That's right. That's right, Alex. And I think the way, you know, they say that the best companies are born out of hard times. And I think uh, there's no doubt about it. We are entering a recession. This growth period is really not overstated. It's welcome, but it's really pushed the limits on its welcome. And uh, these were the exogenous events, the black swan events that the economy um, couldn't couldn't withstand. And uh, as a result, um, we're seeing what we're seeing. And it's just going to get worse from here until it gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Something else you touched in during your your presentation at SMU, uh, you talked about sort of the new tools and, and ways that for, for the, on the booking side, how, how are you expect that to change as far as whether from the, the hotel perspective or the planner perspective, being able to use online tools for, for booking and other, you know, sort of the traditional model maybe is, is changing a bit. How, how would you say that uh, technology in the booking process would change uh, in, in the coming years? It's no secret that there's been a, a, a race to online group booking. There have been platforms creeping up every single week uh, over the past few years to try to do uh, booking. Uh, Booking in in the hotel world specifically is difficult for a number of reasons. Uh, Number one, there's not a lot of bargaining power because there are a few companies that control most of the inventory. Secondly, there are entrenched systems that are hard to build off of because they're not open ecosystems and they don't have APIs and the data is not readily available. Uh, So uh, the property management systems or PMSs, uh, CRSs, central reservation systems, and SNC sales and catering systems oftentimes can't be accessed and and even even worse, don't talk to each other at the hotel uh, in a way that, that you would expect 21st century to operate, 21st century technology to operate. It's a big problem. And uh, it, w- it will get solved. But the question is, who has the capacity to solve it and who actually really wants to solve it? And the people who really want to solve it are the hoteliers because they have the inventory. They don't want to pay the commissions. They drop the commissions from 10 to 7% uh, from with most par- most of their partners. And so they're incentivized to solve it because they can um, increase their margins. 
And in a world where uh, margins are going to be more important than ever, given all the cuts that will be taking place, um, and, all, and all the cuts of demands that will be taking place, there is uh, a real need um, for, you know, cutting waste. And uh, I see hotels as really moving to online uh, group booking and controlling that um, and learning from uh, both the airline industry and the OTAs, um, which really ate their lunch on the, on the leisure side. So um, there's been an initiative by, by some hotel groups to back private companies that are trying to solve this problem in partnership, almost like a joint venture. And, um, you know, I think that has real legs um, uh, in, or in, the, in, the, in the race to move group booking online. Uh, that being said, I do think there's always going to be uh, opportunities to do it uh, without the hotels, like we saw with the hotel tonight, taking over the kind of last minute booking phase and uh, controlling that and then being sold to Airbnb, which was like the last thing the hotels wanted, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, I think there is an opportunity for truly disruptive players to come in and figure out an innovative way through business model innovation and uh, product innovation to pose a risk to the hotels as they try to move to own the group booking space. Los Angeles, a dynamic, ever-evolving city, ready to roll out the red carpet for meetings and events of any size. With access to a deep pool of thought leaders from cutting-edge industries and an array of only-in-LA venues, LA presents limitless possibilities that will keep attendees engaged and inspired. As destination experts, Los Angeles Tourism's personalized service ensures a seamless planning experience. Learn more at meetla.com. That's meetla.com. It's changing fast. There's definitely it's changing fast, but it's still early days. It's still early days. What's happening is that all the systems are becoming pretty vertically integrated. The hotels are becoming vertically integrated, which means there's just big platforms out there. Amadeus is one of them. You know, Cvent's obviously another. Social Tables got acquired by Cvent a year and change ago. So there's a platform race out there, and it is harder to penetrate those platforms because they have really big moats. But I think we will see some some folks push that uh, assumption. Mm-hmm. Look for look for disruption in that area one way or another in, in the future, no, no doubt. And I think a lot of it will be buoyed by, um, by the recession. I think hotels will do anything to get demand in, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and they might, you know, make sacrifices now and let people in in the interest of filling demand, which will suffer over the next few quarters, if not few years. Mm-hmm. And that's when a new player can really come in. Hotel Tonight was founded in 2010. That was right after the 2008 recession. Times of recession, those are the times when the travel industry sees the most. I mean, social tables were started around the same time, January 2011. Mm-hmm. So those are the times when disruption is most commonplace. Sort of necessity is the, the, the mother of, of innovation. That's right. That's right. Interesting. Um, and one of the, the other points that, that you've brought up uh, is almost the anti-technology the, the, as far as like device-free events and, and really the, the, the growth of privacy as a bigger priority for these large-scale events. Where do you see that fitting in in, in the coming years, uh, the, the, the growing importance and awareness of the importance of privacy? So I think when it comes to privacy and data and those issues with events, 
there are a few things. Number one, right now, if I was if I was a bad actor, right? If I was a hacker, I would try to target events because they bring a lot of people to the same place, and those people usually are, you know, a the dominant players in an industry, and they are usually on the network. Or, you know, by the way, hacking is not always just like you know sniffing passwords over a Wi-Fi connection. It can be as easy as looking over somebody's shoulder and seeing what password they type. Mm-hmm. It happens in many ways, right? Social engineering is another way uh, of hacking. I mean, if you ever see like the Snowden documentary, he types a password with like a black sheet over his head. So, you know, th- there are many ways to, to hack and socially engineer your way to, to violate somebody's privacy and steal data. And um, events are a big target for that because they bring the, a lot of decision makers and important folks together. So I do think they're a target. And, you know, sometimes you will will never be able to really know how much is leaked from events, how much they've been hacked because these things aren't really covered. But just like we've seen data leaks from, you know, the the credit company or or whatever, um, or hotel company, um, the the fact is that we might see a, a news headline that says, you know, event data leaked. What better source of data can you have than, a list of people who attended Davos uh, and, and their information or, um, you know, I, you, I always get these emails when I worked at uh, see event social tables that would say, do you want a list from this or this conference? Those lists are being peddled right now and on the, on the kind of gray market. Um, uh, so it is, it is, it is a big target. That's the first thing. The second thing is as a result of that, just as a result of people wasn't wanting more privacy and just being afraid to really speak and sometimes afraid of, you know, being identified, I think we might see events where attendance is uh, completely uh, obfuscated, uh, anonymized. Um, you look at a, at a place like the Hoffman Institute, which is a kind of recovery program for folks. It's a week-long uh, process, but they use nicknames when you go there. That's part of their process. So I'm not trying to equate the two, but that's one example. Another example is the DEF CON conference. Uh, for hackers, they use their handles. I mean, it's very common in, in esports to use uh, handles and not real names. Um, and I think there's a pendulum swing. Um, the pendulum swung pretty far in the early 90s and, and you know, 90s in general, when their internet was pretty nascent and we were known online as a handle. And when we met up in person, we used those handles, you know. And when I went to like certain meetups and stuff early on, I was referred to by my online handle. And now the pendulum has swung so far that we have networks where we're known by our first name. You can find who I am quite quickly and you can see what I say on a near instant basis through social media. That's going to swing the other way eventually. And events generally tend to be at the forefront of trends and we might see anonymized events um, in the near future. Even, even ones where, you know, important people gather. And, you know, frankly, virtual events allow for that, right? Because it's a little more, there's less of an identity being uh, put out there. So that's the second thing when it comes to uh, data and privacy. And third is that while we are becoming better at multitasking, I really do believe that actually. And I, for one, think I'm pretty damn good at it. I've been told that by other people, including people I've dated. Um, but the, 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 the fact is that people do want to disconnect. And the more research that comes out about this, the more uh, event planners will push the envelope on what disconnecting means. So I do think there's a world where there won't be any digital devices and events. And that, that can be a good thing if you're, one of your objectives is to have 
a true meaningful connection with someone. You can't do it when your phone is buzzing in your pocket. Yeah. And so it's interesting because it's not just a privacy concern, but it's a distraction prevention concern too. It emphasizes focus in a, in a way by uh, having a device-free event or at least parts of the event being device-free. That's right. I think we've covered some great kind of big picture topics. Is there any other particular trends, whether it's in things like event apps or data gathering or other areas in which tech and meetings overlap that you're really keeping an eye on? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the industry is ripe for disruption for new tech. Generally speaking, we've seen most event tech companies kind of like hit a wall at about 20 million in revenues. That's kind of where social tables was when we sold and we didn't hit a wall. We were going quite, quite, quite nicely actually, but it gets harder because there's just so many niche products, uh, which is why the platforms end up winning. But I do think we've only scratched the surface on what's, what's possible with events and events are not going anywhere. In fact, their demand I predict is going to increase as we seek more genuine connections, as we try to disconnect, as we realize um, that face-to-face is the most powerful tool in our toolkit when it comes to business development, education, and so on. So I think that uh, inspiration. So I think that um, events are not going anywhere. They're only getting stronger. This uh, looming recession is only going to bring them back with a vengeance, just like the last one did. And now is the time to kind of hunker down and innovate uh, your event programs. And what the, what that actually means that we talk about at the at the top of this of this podcast, and um, to really push the envelope on innovation, both from a technology perspective as well as from an events perspective. That's great. So really, look at uh, maybe these these challenging times as an opportunity. Always, I would urge people to really to take the time to learn new skills, to educate themselves about the industry, about the market, about where it may be going. Just experimenting with trying something new, maybe trying to start a business or kind of experiment with something that they have always wanted to do and didn't have a chance to do, but also push their organization and, and, and stand out in this, in this difficult time as leaders about what's possible. Well, thanks, Don. That, that really uh, kind of highlights some great points. I, I appreciate taking that time to chat. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And if people want to stay in touch and continue the conversation, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. My name is Don Berger, spelled Dan, pronounced Don. So it's at D-A-N-B-E-R-G-E-R. People can also email me, uh, dan at danjberger.com. Happy to always chat uh, about this stuff. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.